This is Inside Dance, a podcast that celebrates the Bates Dance Festival artists and teachers. I'm your host, Lindsay Lapointe. The field of dance moved from a physical world to a virtual world at a rapid pace this past year, leaving many to question, how will I make money? Does dance serve me at this time? How can I keep moving forward with my art? For the next two episodes, we are taking the opportunity to check in with a few of the artists who are here in person for the Bates Dance Festival 2021. These artists share their stories about how their lives, teaching and art making have shifted the past year in response to the pandemic, in response to the various socio-political forces at work in the United States of America. Bates Dance Festival 2021, a smaller, more intimate festival working in both live and virtual exchanges, offered an opportunity for faculty, artists, and students alike to ease back into movement, supporting each other, heal, and make, moving towards the future world we are building. For part one of this series, we will hear three stories. The first from Janessa Clark, talking with the Bates Dance Festival director Shoshana Courier on the radio broadcast In the Arts. The second story comes from Kendra Portier, who is teaching at the festival for 2021. And finally, Betsy Miller, a longtime festival staff member. Thanks for listening and for your continued support for the Bates Dance Festival. Janessa, you are here in uh, beautiful Lewiston, Maine, uh, to do a screening of your film, Communion. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this project? Absolutely. So Communion uh, is the project that I spent the entire pandemic making. It's what helped me keep my sanity during the lockdown. And it began as an experimentation with a fellow choreographer and colleague, Laura Peterson. We were meant to start a live work rehearsal research process and the lockdown happened. And so we started to devise different ways that we could still be creative together while being in separate spaces. So I asked her to um, video herself in her apartment doing some improvisation with some scores and then I would then project them on the wall of my then uh, I had access to a private studio space that I could keep working out of so we did that for a little while I projected her on my wall and you know responded to her improvisational prompts but I was like I don't know if this is going to sustain me the entire lockdown not knowing how long it is so I started thinking okay well I'll send some videos back to her and then I was like well maybe I should just take our videos and see if there's a way since I'm already working in film to edit them together and create something mm -hmm. so I did some playing around I use Final Cut Pro um, and I did some playing around and layered them and they kind of looked interesting and I realized I needed to make a couple of adjustments and so I asked Laura to clean out her living room <laughs> <laughs> And have it completely bare with a white wall, which is so easy in New York because we have ample space, you know, <laughs> and um, and to wear all black clothing. And I did the same at MySpace and um, put the videos that she sent and that I recorded myself into Final Cut Pro and did some uh, different effects to them and raised the contrast, turned them to black and white. And all of a sudden I was able to layer them in a way that seemed like we were in the same space. And so all of a sudden we were able to duet together while apart and 
I was so excited about it. I was like, I wonder, I know for sure there are thousands of other artists trying to figure out how they're going to keep working during this lockdown. And so I, I made a, a short list of either choreographers that I had admired or worked with in some other capacity in my former life as a programmer producer. And uh, I reached out to a handful of them and asked if they'd like to participate as well. And if they could dance with anyone in the world right now, who would it be? So the, the first person I went to after Laura and I did our experiment was uh, Leslie Krauss, from, who was in, originally in New York, but she had moved to Oklahoma to work at university there. And she selected Obache Omegbemi, who was in Berlin at the time. And so I just went with those two and we did the exact same process, which I had started to streamline and really make a methodology for this project. And then from there, we kind of just ran with it. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, this person, what about this person? What about this person? And I mean, honestly, my list of, of people to be in touch with was a lot longer than realistically I would have time or brain space to make a duet for. But all in all, I landed on 20 duets for 2020 that spanned from... April until I think we released the, the 20th one on Christmas Eve. Oh, no, sorry, New Year's Eve 2020. And um, yeah, so now they've all been put together into a 50-minute long uh, running video. And they uh, Bates is going to be projecting that on the outside of the Schaefer Theater this weekend. I can't believe that in April of 2020, you were like you had the the energy and the impulse to jump into a kind of newish I mean you've made screen dances before but editing them in this way right was a kind of newish medium and I I was just amazed kind of throughout all of the initial lockdown how quickly artists out of necessity out of creativity were able to to pivot their practice in some way right and to find a new medium how how did that feel to you at the time to jump into that? Yeah, um, well, I think at the heart of my practice for a number of years, I've had a fascination with uh, remote intimacy. So co-authoring work with either members of the public who I never meet, they either working through like anonymous letters or um, – you know, in some other fashion, working with a bunch of collaborators, either in person or apart, and just creating these sort of poignant connections across vast distances somehow. So because I was already working in editing film, because I just finished making um, an eight-minute dance film the months prior to that, I felt like, okay, I've got this skill. I'm cooped up inside why don't I just start messing around and just seeing it? And with no real plan to, you know, communion was a total accident. And mm -hmm. it was just born out of necessity. Um, and I, I sort of feel like a lot of artists that I talked to during the lockdown, they, they just took their skills and tried to find a way to sort of make it happen, right, from all of the ways in which people wound up taking class on Zoom um, to I think a, a colleague of mine started a letter writing um, process where she would send um, – sort of love notes to friends and they would sort of move those around through their community and so it was while yes it was a little strange to think that this is going to be my artistic practice I'm going to be by myself trying to do this thing um, that I don't even know really what it is I'm doing it also that curiosity and the sort of wonder and magic that kind of came up from this happy accident of layering Laura and myself um I just I became totally engrossed in it and it 
started out weird and became the thing that kept me going. I was like, you know what, we might be in lockdown for the rest of the year or for at least the next six months if you read, you know, the news all the time. Mm -hmm. So I was like, let's just go into this and be as curious as you have been with other projects that you've done in the past and just think, you know, the more the more you're not on the same highway that you would normally be with your practice. You sort of take that parallel service road. You get yourself into all of these other things that, you know, I think it's a lot of happy accident for my own personal practice that has sort of moved my practice forward, that aspect of research and experimentation and taking a risk. It's really interesting in the um, in the duets uh, to sort of see who people chose to work with. Some people... It feels like some people chose, you know, kind of a peer, somebody really close to their age. Some folks even look really similar. They have a really similar style of movement. And then some are just really disparate moving styles. I'm thinking of this one duet with um, Gus Solomons, who Gus was a dancer for Merce Cunningham. Is that right? Yes. And is now uh, like a just a beautiful like elder and mentor and teacher in the field. Dance royalty. Dance royalty. (laughs) Gus Solomons, please uh, Google if you you have not already, if you're not driving. Um, And he is dancing with, is his partner a dancer? He is a natural born mover, but he is not a classically or formally trained dancer. He actually uh, was a basketball star um, playing for Arkansas and then uh, had gone pro in Europe and unfortunately suffered an injury, but came back to the U.S. And uh, Gus met him, I think, either probably five years ago in an acting class. And they instantly had a connection. And I feel like it's a very uh, familial connection. They're very caring and nurturing for each other, but they also have this um, funny banter. And um, (laughs) there's definitely a significant sense of care involved in that relationship. And... um, So when I approached Gus to see if he would want to participate, I was like, who's Gus going to pick? Right? Like, I mean, he knows everybody. I was like, he's going to call Carmen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then he's like, you know, I know exactly who I want to work with. It's Guy Whitney. And he uh, is not a, a trained dancer, but you'll see he can move. And so we got on a FaceTime call and started to strategize how we would shoot um, this duet because it was a rather tricky process with um, getting uh, Gus's filmed. And so he, uh, Guy is like, I'm going to be on the court if that's okay, and I'm going to bring my basketball. And I was like, you know, my slightly type A personality was like, oh, an unknown, a prop, oh, outside, prop. lighting. <laughs> um, but then I was like, you know what? This is the perfect test of what true co-authorship is, and this is such a symbiotic and um, organic process that's happening, and this is what these two individuals need, and this is an, um, an authentic expression of who they are. And if you see Guy with his basketball, it is literally an extension of himself. Um, and so that's a really special duet because it is, in, in effect, a trio. And um, even though they're moving so incredibly differently – you know, uh, Gus uh, is, like you were saying earlier, he's this pioneer of um, modern dance and Guy having this very sort of uh, 
just court choreography, just right. like being on very the court, like fluid. very beautiful footwork and very grounded, but easily changing directions. So it just worked out so well. It's like this very, um, it's very charming. And also you, there's that sense of care, but the, also this, the range in their, their age and their, their yeah. body types and, you know, the way that they're moving now. It's really a testament to this project was, was and is for everybody at every point and every definition of what dance is and when you mm. can do it and how you can do it and where you can do it. When we were you were mentioning Obige before, uh, and and as I think about the uh, the cast of this uh, this film, the cast, the dancers, um, so many of them have relationships to to the Bates Dance Festival and have been here. And Obige was actually here in 2019 uh, in a piece by Joanna Katza called uh, oh uh, called What Will We Be Like When We Get There? Yes. And uh, and then as we were talking, it came out that I think the last time Obige had been here was as a young dancer in our high school age program. Uh, they'd been here as a student. And um, and we have all these, uh, there's all these faculty members. There's a faculty member who's here now, Kendra Portier. Uh, but she is dancing in one of those duets with another longtime faculty member of, of BDF, Jen Nugent. So it's really like, it's just a really happy thing to watch all these folks that, that uh, the community here knows and and loves. So having this sort of smaller festival than ever has been really wonderful and felt really good. And you sent me such a nice text last night. We were at this, um, or actually uh, on Monday night, uh, we were at the uh, Primo Cubano concert, which was amazing. Primo Cubano is wonderful. So fun. And, um, and you sent me this nice text about how we were all together and uh, it's just really nice to do anything. Um, and I feel that, and I've also felt, I don't know if it's guilt exactly, but something about how hard the last year and a half has been, how hard it's been on artists. And now I'm like, are we just going back to booking shows now? Are we just, we're just, we're just jumping right back in, right? Like we just, we're doing deals and we're making tours and, and we want to, right? We want everyone to work and we don't want to like live in our grief forever, but also, it was a horrible time. And I don't know that I feel like artists have been properly like compensated for their for their uh, advocacy work, for the kind of labor they had to do all of this work of like shifting platforms. And it just feels so wild to be like, okay, let's check some dates for next summer now. Are you going to be available? I'll talk to your agent. You know, it's, yeah. it's, we're right back to it. So that's, that's kind of where I am with it is I want so badly to be booking all these artists and to be having these conversations and, and supporting work. And also I'm like, how do we mourn what just happened or properly acknowledge it? I don't know. So what do you think? I mean, what do we do now? I mean, my hope is that... Um not just for the arts community, but for, you know, our country and the world at large. Um, there's definitely a, a more pronounced um, value on human life um, and um, the way we need to sort of take care of ourselves and take care of our neighbors and the sense of respect and uh, visibility. Um, my hope is that people recognize artists as essential workers and 
those artists have worked tirelessly during this pandemic to to keep I'm, I'll say entertainment going, but mm-hmm. also just to keep creativity, to be, keep producing our cultural products um, as best we can, despite you know the tragedy and trauma of the past 16 months. Um, my hope is that moving forward, yes, there are opportunities for artists to be. Um, given shows and tours, yes, but also that we think about the quality of engagement that we've spent so long. You know, I just took uh, Kendra's class before running over here. I got to touch a friend that I have not. You know, we did communion when she was in Maryland and I was in New York, and I got to to touch her and to feel the warmth of her body and to listen to her wisdom and perform that wisdom in my own body and what a gift it is and to share space with human beings. I I hope that we can celebrate coming back together respectfully and responsibly and to make space for people to continue to do the brilliant work that they've been doing um, and that they are able to be compensated for that. Of course, it's important mm. that people are able to make a living at what they're doing, um, but that we also can not forget that sometimes it takes these tragedies for us to really pivot and course correct and move forward responsibly. And I think that there are more people than there aren't who are ready to um, make sure that equity is at the forefront and positivity is at the forefront and creativity and hybrid models and including the public and reflecting the communities that we are all from and not just if you're in some uh, metropolis area that it sort of sparks out and helps us to recover because art is the way that you recover quite honestly you know we say it in dance all the time you know movement heals Mm. Um, and it's like coming home when you get to move your body again and I think having access to uh, art and artists is our way forward. That's such a lovely, a lovely thought. Um, I do wonder, uh, you were just kind of talking about spreading out outside of these, uh, you know, what I would think of as like our cultural urban centers. And we know that there's been all this movement, right, out of cities this year. And we might, I wonder if we will see some of these other uh, kind of hot spots for the arts cropping up because I think you know it it was a lot of folks who who had some of that mobility to move out of cities but also like had to because you know I mean there were Broadway performers moving home to wherever they were from originally because they couldn't stay without their contract and you know I wonder uh, I wonder about all that movement and if we'll start seeing more rural communities with um with more and more arts blooming in them, although, you know, many already have tons of artists there. And I wonder if just, like, an influx of a few more people can sometimes, like, tip an area over. Yeah, I think I think that's absolutely possible. I think, you know, back when Mount Tremper's uh, Mount Tremper started. It was Which a- is a residency space in the Catskills. <laughs> yes, sounds right. Yes. Um, you know, back when that started, it was a very small um, community of people that would come to their showings. And now 
it's it's a mecca to to be outside the city to go to this creative space that also has an amazing garden and just lots of open space and they've really created um, you know a, a sort of fan base a local community that's supportive the same way that I think the festival here has uh, lots of support from the Twin Cities and I think that yeah people are moving home and realizing maybe I don't have to go to quote the big city to sort of make a difference and uh, I know a couple of people who started their own residency programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also a couple um, of things that were starting out as maybe a residency program pre-pandemic that are definitely like, no, we're doing this. Right. Really, it's necessary. So I think that enthusiasm is infectious in a good way. And um, hopefully we just see that sort of permeate more areas, more rural areas of the country. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Art's for everyone, you guys. (laughs) Janessa, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thank you so much for having me here. My name is Kendra Portier. (sighs) Um, I was in Santa Ana, California, working with... um, a youth program that I love and adore. They focus on dance. They provide all these opportunities and pretty holistic opportunities for young folks and their families to be involved in dance. Um, So I was out there making a dance for these young people, making a dance with these young people. And then slowly day by day, the details of how we needed to kind of adjust in the space shifted. I was there for one week and we were, you know, all over the place. We're in proximity with each other. There's no mask. There's nothing like that. And even saying that out loud makes it feel like it was so long ago. And then the second week, we had shorter rehearsals. We had less people, more social distance. And then all of a sudden, I needed to try and take one of what felt like at the time, one of the last flights home. Um, So I flew home and... Right away, everything was different. All of the classes were canceled for the moment. Uh, We were given extra time, and luckily this coincided with spring break at the University of Maryland. So we had some time to kind of think about it. Uh, We were given a little bit of support, (laughs) technological support, to kind of figure out how to transition to fully online classes. And true to form, it seemed like dance kind of just did it. Uh, I think we're really agile at innovating spaces and and considering how that innovation holistically supports the people in classes or our our communication, our physical practice. Um, I felt like a lot of the questions that we had were really about access almost immediately and thoroughly. Um, And not that we're able to provide access to every everybody. I mean, certainly I was looking at students who had entire um, dance studio spaces in their homes versus my living room. And then at the other end of the spectrum, folks who were trying to live their best life in some kind of connection to dance in, in their bathrooms. Um, so I think that kind of spread had us looking at what access means a lot and what space and time mean and um, the energy to think, the energy to 
physically research the energy to kind of um, physically recuperate, spiritually recuperate, emotionally recuperate. And then at the same time, I'm an introvert. So there were so many things that I almost felt gruesomely lucky about. Um, I got to be a homebody like I kind of always want to. I got to suddenly spend most of my physical activity uh, walking around in the woods by myself, listening to the same song on repeat or some track that uh, Adam Crawley made and just kind of diving in and imagining what I wanted to make with it or respond to through it. Um, I got more time to communicate with my family. Um, I never, I'm not a big phone person uh, and I've become one, especially with my siblings. And so to see that kind of communication happen uh, has, has brought me a lot of joy and grounding. Um, and then also like the physical practice, it allowed me to dive in and to think about these like really intricate details to let my imagination proliferate through the body to kind of construct new imageries or check in with ones that I'd been using for a while and see if they were really doing the thing I needed it to do. Um, and I think that it allowed people to do the same thing. And now they didn't have to kind of negotiate their their imagination and their desire to seek sensation and pleasure in the body. Uh, they didn't have to negotiate that socially. So um, very often when we're in class and we're told, you do you or, you know, really dance it, I, I, I feel in myself and I see this kind of resonate with other people that there's like this latent feeling of, um, well, which me do you want me to be? Do you want me to be the version that you looks like you <laughs> or looks like the person next to me? And that that kind of like um, friction can be really rich. And then at other times it can be really paralyzing. So being at home allowed, I think, a lot of people to dive in and to see what was there and not feel like they had to kind of direct it or hold it for the sociality or the collectivity that we're so accustomed to. Um, and I think the first months, even as I fully transitioned courses uh, to the online platform and fully transitioned uh, using remote music to pick up classes or, you know, this kinds of classes where we just all meet and like get moving as best we can. And that felt like there was a lot of, um, I think I, I think at the time I mistook progress and innovation for joy <laughs> because it felt good to be doing something to to feel like I can experiment with this particular um, technological setup and see if that does the thing I need it to do. Um, and then when it did, it felt like, Eureka, I did it. And then you could do another thing. And through all of that innovation, I think alongside of those technological settings, there was also an increased conversation around access, around imagination, around pleasure, around these kinds of conversations that have been in the community for quite some time. Many people have written about them, but this time it also felt like the in those conversations, the way things become theoretical, this was a, a big grand return to the embodied or the the practice and that relationship between theory and practice. Um, and then ad admittedly, like January hit. <laughs> and I think by then we'd all gotten so used to Zoom and the efficiency of some Zoom 
that then the meetings all of a sudden started to become really long. <laughs> and as we got more comfortable, most of my days were spent seated in front of a screen, which is a first for me. Um, I don't know about anyone else. I noticed a different kind of social <laughs> uh, anxiety. Zoom makes it so for me personally, I would wait. I would really try to not have to talk during a meeting, especially in a large group. Um, yeah, which which I felt myself kind of distancing myself accidentally from information that I wanted to be part of or uh, needed. Um, and then, you know, a few months later, I think some of those those things even slipped even more because now I missed being able to move big through spaces. I wanted to be around the energy of people. I wanted, I was kind of sick of being by myself. And uh, I mean, you're stuck with yourself all the time. So getting to just dance next to somebody feels like they're inspiring an energetic wave that you can ride or push against. It feels like play. It feels like you, you get all this new information just because of proximity. And then here we are now at Bates at PTP. And um, the months before, I've been so nervous about what returning to a studio would be, especially as a studio space, a festival space, a collective space that I've loved so much and have gotten so much from in the past. Um, I was nervous that I would get here <laughs> and nervous that my expectations would get in the way. Did I expect it to feel like it used to? would it? Um, what about the emotionality <laughs> of, of us returning to being social? Um, did I need to kind of basically go to beginner level social, Kendra? <laughs> you know, a few conversations a day, yet alone this kind of um, immediate, like all of a sudden we're all around each other, even if socially distant, it's a, it's a whole thing that I haven't been around and I don't think many other people have as well. That on top of getting to move through space, that on top of being masked, being in hot spaces that feel really good, but trying to kind of um, be patient in how we all enter those spaces, the social, the emotional, the physical, even the creative in that way. Um, yeah, I was nervous about the patience and my responsibility for hosting or kind of guiding us through that. And then also, what if what if I discovered I didn't want to do it anymore? Or what if I discovered I didn't know how to access the things that once brought me so joy? So I think a lot of kind of um, accidental futuring fear around what it was going to be, how it was going to happen, and how we're going to continue um, and I think some of those fears kind of linger. I can feel them uh, tingle in my heart and my throat right now, even mentioning them. And at the same time, this, this week, I've gotten to see people fly through space. Uh, a participant last week took her hair down and just like thrashed. And it was everything. It, it absolutely reminded me how much joy can just be... Um, push through the space can ex like be exuded. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, and then I started feeling like, like, or reminded about the vitality of what we do, the, the kind of 
quality of life that we get to share. And hopefully that quality of life doesn't just stay in the studios, but also carries us into more public spaces, carries us into how we interact with other folks, how we support other folks, how we kind of um, take up space, how we seek and define our own pleasure, um, how we define our lives. Um, yeah, so I, I, I think in a nutshell, that has been this year. And it's been, like I, like I mentioned, so much of this was uh, forwarded by innovation and immediate response and how like agile you can be in all those ways. Uh, and now I, I, I'm feeling a different kind of reflection, like the necessary, the necessary um, need to really comb through the things that uh, I want to carry with me and a necessary combing through of the things that I don't. Uh, I would like to leave <laughs> some things in the, in the past, both things that kind of came up through quarantine and also some of the ways um, that I think are kind of sub, they're not even subterranean. They almost lace some of our physical practice, uh, such as brutal self-talk. Um, and I'm hearing that more and more as people went into quarantine. I'm hearing that more and more as people come out and are trying to figure out where they are and how to enjoy the things that used to bring them life and what that looks like and trying to have patience. There's just some real brutality in, in self-talk. So I, I've been thinking a lot about that and what we're going to do about that as a field. Um, and, and there's so many other things that we could also add to that list. But right now I feel very keenly focused on um, how I'm con going to consider that in my own creative and physical I guess, and personal life. So. My name is Betsy Miller, and I'm a dance artist, educator, and facilitator currently based in Salem, Massachusetts. I have a project-based dance company called Betsy Miller Dance Projects. I am also on faculty at Salem State University, and during the summers, happy to be at Bates Dance Festival as house manager and box office assistant. Uh, much of my choreographic work currently revolves around a pretty ambitious project called the American Woman Project, which I started in 2018. Uh, that idea came out of a desire to have a uh, a relationship to a project that could evolve over time rather than making a piece and spending a lot of time crafting it and then performing it for maybe a couple of audiences before it gets kind of discarded uh, into the, uh, the trash can of my artistic history um, to have a, a larger scale project that could move along with me in my career. And um, so in the American Woman Project, I am traveling around the U.S. and making a solo for a woman dance artist in each state of the country. 
The solos emerge from the interests and identities of each artist and are informed by their personal histories in relationship to the state of their residence, which, because artists move around a lot, as I've discovered, is not often their birth state. Uh, so in 2020, which would have been the third year of this project, I had planned collaborations with seven artists in various parts of the South. I was really looking forward to getting a better understanding of a part of the country that I, as a Midwestern-born New England transplant, have been sort of mystified by my whole life. Uh, I was also scheduled uh, for quite a few performances in the spring and summer of 2020, uh, including an appearance at Jacob's Pillow's Inside Out series. Um, so yeah, 2020 was shaping up to be a big year. And of course, uh, that changed pretty drastically in March. Um, I remember that I was in, uh, in a piece by another artist, Audrey McLean, and we were set to premiere a new work, I think maybe March 12th um, in Boston. And the show got canceled 20 minutes before curtain. Um, and we were sort of evacuated from the theater with sprays of Lysol trailing behind us. And I went home and I started to erase my calendar. Um, and that erasing continued throughout the next few weeks as the scope of the pandemic became clearer. Um, so yeah, I had this ambitious plan to work with these seven women uh, in 2020, and that shifted pretty dramatically. I did end up collaborating with one of these artists, uh, Kendra Portier, who uh, is based in Bar Baltimore. Uh, Kendra is currently based in Baltimore, Maryland. And uh, we decided that we were open to possibly working together over Zoom, which was a very new way of working for me. Um, and so what, what we ended up doing uh, was scheduling sort of a weekly meeting time. I guess I could call it a weekly rehearsal, although it didn't really feel like that. Uh, but every Thursday afternoon, sort of right as when the, the guys showed up to mow the lawn outside my apartment, uh, I would get on Zoom with Kendra and uh, we would have uh, conversations about what was going on in our lives as artists, as people, as teachers. Um, Kendra and I both are on faculty at universities and uh, navigating this pandemic landscape as an educator has been uh, quite the adventure. So it was nice to share that uh, journey with her and also to uh create together. And what Kendra and I actually ended up creating was rather than creating a solo for her to perform, which is what I have done with um, the other artists, we created, a, I guess, a series of scores or prompts that can be used in pretty much any setting uh, or adapted to any setting uh, that allow for some space for our bodies to present to us what 
they need uh, in order for us to be our best creative selves. So this set of scores, uh, Kendra and I practiced together over Zoom and developed over Zoom uh, over the course of many weeks. And uh, we played with different duration uh, with these scores. And I also worked uh, on kind of adapting them to suit my students' needs during this time. And we did a couple of workshops with other American women participants. So that was my one sort of project, I guess, that came uh, through American Woman in 2020. However, I'm really, really happy to be able to travel this fall 2021 to get back on the road and meet with artists in person to uh, create together. It turned out that, that that feels like the way that I create the best is being in the same room with somebody, even if it's for a short, short period of time. Um, I thought a lot about, the, uh, about Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs as a way to understand why I didn't feel creative in the past year, because I wasn't at that place where I could feel creative. I was very much in a survival mode, as I think many people were. I think we all need to understand that uh, about the pressures of this time and the trauma of this time and the constant worry of this time. Um, we had to be creative in different ways in our regular lives. Like It felt like I had to be really creative about going to the grocery store and, uh, you know, masking up and uh, playing games with space. Um, I had to be so creative about teaching during that time. So I, I was lucky enough to do some of my teaching in person. I was teaching outside uh, on athletic fields and the library quad, and my students were amazing to to adapt to that situation, teaching masked uh, with a microphone outside. Uh, and then it got too cold. Once it started snowing, we, we decided <laughs> maybe we should move inside. So I was teaching in gymnasiums, really spaced out, um, really changing the way I teach because so much of how I teach is based on connection, sometimes physical connection, but always developing a sense of community in the room. And that's really different, uh, a different thing to cultivate during a time when we need to stay away from each other. Um, to make that distinction between staying away from each other physically and staying away from each other emotionally uh, is really tricky. And I had to think a lot about that. Um, and I'm not sure how successful I was um, with that. I, I, I think I'm still too close to it now, but we got through the year. I got through the year teaching, um, managed to stay healthy through, through that time. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, I'm grateful that my family managed to stay healthy during that time. And I was also able to devote my energies to some other parts of my life that, uh, needed, needed that energy. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily such a bad thing to let your creativity lie fallow for a while. And I feel like really, I guess I'd say coming back to the Bates Dance Festival and being a part of 
the community here that really in so many ways is a family to me has reignited that creative spark. And I'm ready. I feel ready to make dances again. And that's so huge for me to, to feel that. So again, gratitude to be able to shift back into that creative headspace. I'm not sure how, how this time is going to move me forward, but I like to think that I was already moving in a direction that was, uh, that was sustainable for me as a maker, as a woman, as a human, and uh, that I was invested in a project that is about cultivating a way of a way of being for artists, but particularly women artists, uh, that honors the realities of their lives. Um, so I'm going to try to, as I move forward, I'm going to try to be fluid and responsive to the moment in the way that I kind of always have and understand that the conditions in our lives affect uh, our capacities for art making and be responsive to that. Um, the work that I'm making is sometimes offering an escape from reality, but is always in response to and in dialogue with reality. And I consider my process, especially an American woman, about to be about how I can give, give these women artists something that they need when I'm working with them. Um, They, there's a saying that I've heard from a, for a long time that, uh, that the dance field is dominated by women, and it's so untrue. Um, it's, it's populated by women, um, but women are kind of these often unseen uh, workhorses in this field. Um, and there's a lot, sometimes a lot of lot of stuff underneath the surface that is not not being cared for uh, because these are the caretakers. Often these are um, these women artists are mothers or mother figures. And I like to be in that in that relationship to them uh, to give them something they need as artists, uh, something that feeds them, something that nourishes them. And if I can do that, uh, to some extent, I feel like I've been successful. Uh, I think that kind of mindset in making work, that it can be a nurturing process and not just an abusive process, which I firmly believe too many artistic processes are, I hope um, that that mindset and creative creative making becomes more prevalent as we emerge from this really difficult time. Uh, and I guess we'll, we'll wait and see what happens. We will be back next time with three more stories to share. The festival director is Shoshana Courier. The director of training programs is Ali James. Sound recording and editing by me, Lindsay LaPointe. Music featured by Albert Mathias. 
For more information about the festival, visit BatesDanceFestival.org.